I want to welcome you, for those of you that are new here, and maybe those of you that have been away for a few weeks in this summertime slot, I want to encourage you that uh, we're in the middle of a, a really cool walking out of something that the Lord's given us here in the last several months, really as a result of going down to the Asbury Revivals and being asked a question, I was of Jake Christopher one of our multiple right-hand men, men around here, we've got great new staff coming on board right now because we are in the middle of a rise. A rise is to do two things, to thrive here where we are planted in downtown Chicago, and also we are looking to go to northwest suburbs this fall and to plant a new campus. There's great need in our city, guys. The amount of people that are really hungry for something transcendent as we're going to see even in the book of Acts from 2,000 years ago is pretty profound and we're seeing God do some amazing things. We had our first discovery meeting and it was an amazing experience. Um, we had probably close to, well, a little over 50 people there. Got some pictures coming up right now that are going to show this to us here. There we are. Um, that's just a little snippet of what was going on. We were up at Bob and Bev Seifert's home and God met with us in power. It was an incredibly sweet time. Uh, we have currently uh, nearly 600 people that are wanting to get more information about a church in the Northwest Burbs. But I want to tell you, we are ramping things up in a big way for downtown as well. And I just want you to know something. A group of us called the, we're just calling it for lack of better words, directional leadership team that makes up Paul Hansen. Paul, raise your hand. He's not on staff here yet. That comes September 1, but he's here in service with his bride, Amy, and his, one of his daughters, Molly, right there. It's awesome. And Corey Pelly. How about Corey Pelly? He's on our team. Give a smile and wave. And Ajit Christopher, one of my longtime right-hand men right there. We know him and love him. And we went away uh, to Lake Lawn Resort, and it's really cool. Just a cool subplot here is I have a dear friend who's one of the owners of Lake Lawn Resort, and when I asked him, hey, could you cut us a deal to go up there and get a boardroom and some rooms, he said, I know you aren't looking for a freebie, but too bad. You get all the rooms on me, all the meals on me, the boardrooms on me. And when we got there, we were, we were just treated to an incredible time. So isn't that cool how God works? He's a real kingdom mindset guy, and uh, it was great. But I need you to know something. I came home, and I told my bride that I've been in a lot of great hearing God moments, meetings where God was present and powerful, but I really have never seen anything like this. Ajit laid out for us a bit of an agenda for that weekend, we knocked not only all of them down, we felt and experienced the presence and power of God in unique ways. It was amazing. And I'll tell you what I attribute it to. Oftentimes when you get men in a room together, it can be a bit of a struggle for position and power. Somebody mentioned that word. But what I witnessed in this room was just a bunch of hungry, humble dudes and we would brainstorm and pray and talk and then pray and we witness God work in an amazing way. And I need you to know that you need to mark your calendars for downtown Chicago because August 27th, I don't even have a slide for it because we really landed on this yesterday afternoon. August 27th is gonna be an incredible day for a Rise 
Team Thrive, which is downtown Chicago, you are going to hear some things that I believe are going to excite you to no end. And more than anything else, I want to tell you thank you for your incredible spirit, the spirit that you have, the hunger that you have for the Lord as we hear you worship here today. It's just overwhelming, man, for us as a pastoral team to, to have the privilege to lead you all. It's a blessing. And those of you that are new here today, I need you to know that you're among a group of people that are broken, humbled, teachable, imperfect, but going strong in their relationship with Jesus. And it's a joy to be called your pastor. I want to pray, and we're going to jump into the Word of God. Oh, Lord, give me economy of words here today. Words led by your Spirit. Lord, you know how much I want to get out of your way. Open wide the gates that the King of glory may come in. Who is this King of glory? The Lord strong and mighty, the Lord mighty in battle. And Lord, we just had an opportunity here. We're just like Jehoshaphat. There was this praise team that went out in front like an army here, and now we're coming in behind with the word. And, and so I'm asking you to grow us. There's some here that might have an illusion of salvation with you. Save them. But to all these things we ask, would you be glorified and lifted high? And I give you thanks in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, if you're around and had a pulse in the 60s or 70s, you saw one of the most famous commercials ever. It was a cigarette commercial. And what was crazy about this cigarette commercial is that it was, it was its moniker and the big brand idea. They even had young people back then like Martha Stewart doing this commercial. And it was for a brand of cigarettes that will go without being mentioned. And the, the whole theme of the commercial was, I'd rather fight than switch. And it was said over and over again. You with me, bro? Yeah, and it was a hilarious commercial series because basically these people were championing the brand of cigarettes that they were wanting to smoke by saying, I'd rather fight with someone than have them take this stick out of my mouth. It was crazy, but it was compelling, and they say that it was the most well-branded commercial in the 60s or 70s that had more return on investment than any other commercial. Why is that? Because we get stuck with certain things that we love and we don't want to let go of. I'm working on a Jit Christopher big time, guys. Pray for me. He's a cricket fan. I went to one cricket match when I lived in South Africa. I was there all day long, and at the end of the day, the guy looks at me and he goes, well, that's it. I said, what do you mean that's it? He says, we come back tomorrow. I said, what do you mean? He says, it's a three-day game. I said, not for me, man. I am out. Three-day game. You thought baseball was long. Cricket is horrible. I'm looking back at a jet right now. And to beat it all, now, Ajit, you do not have the microphone, so I need you to stay quiet back there. To beat it all, he likes another sport, called Formula One Racing. And I'm like, Formula One Racing? So I messed with him over this weekend. In the middle of our meeting, I looked over him one time. I said, you know, Formula One Racing is just like professional wrestling. That fake wrestling. They already, 
they already know who's going to win before they compete. Oh, yeah, they know every place. And he's going, no, they don't. No, they don't. They don't. It's a real sport. I go, that's not a sport, bro. (laughs) But I couldn't talk him out of it. He's a cricket fan and a Formula One fan. In fact, he and Preston are going to Florida to watch a Formula One race in October. And I don't know if I'm going to pray for you on that trip or not. It's hard to convert people, I'll tell you. iPhone, Android. We could take polls here through all this stuff. Thin crust, deep dish. Hard to convert. White Sox, Cubs. Hard to convert. And yet there is no conversion more dramatic and unlikely a spiritual conversion. Today I want to talk to you about unlikely converts. And when you think about unlikely converts, a lot of you are wondering of someone that you love in your life, will they ever be saved? Represented in this room is a lot of pain. There's a lot of heartache, especially for moms and dads who saw a lot of children raised in church and they've walked away from the Lord. There's a lot of different pain about maybe neighbors or people that we love. I've got a couple of neighbors that I love to talk with and I I can't disclose names or kind of their background or anything, but if, if they happen to be watching for some reason today, I just want you to know I love you, and they know I love them. They know I love them. And sometimes I wonder, oh man, are we ever going to see my friends, even my neighbors, transformed and called out of darkness and into light, and what will that take? But this whole issue of spiritual conversion from darkness to light, I want to just emote with you for a moment here because I felt like we need to do a little bit of theological grounding on some big questions around what is it to be born again. A lot of people wonder, a lot of questions, and I can't cover them all, but I got a few that the Lord laid on my heart. I hear this a lot on the news, and so I want to address a first one. Aren't all people children of God? Good question. It's a really good question. So before I give you the answer, let me give you some background. We're all born in the image of God. So there are aspects of every person alive that is a reflection of God. Remember how I've told you that story about me walking from a campground in Alaska, the last campground at Wonder Lake, and I was at Wonder Lake and I wanted to go catch some fish, and me and my buddy Calvin walked through like waist-high weeds headed right toward Mount McKinley. Now, because I was born and raised up there, I know how to get around. You sing and yell, scare the bears away so that they're not eating you and stuff like that. But I'm walking through these waist-high weeds and we almost stepped right into a creek. And the creek was about this wide and about eight to 10 feet deep and beautiful, crystal clear water. We dipped in, got some water to drink, and then we put a dry fly on on our fishing line. And the question is, how do you fly fish in a creek that's this wide? You just straddle it and you drop the fly on the water. And we were dropping the fly on the water and pretty quick grayling are coming up out of there. Beautiful, kind of a trout uh, looking fish that has a humongous dorsal fin and we're catching these grayling, and they're jumping up out of the water. They're going back and forth. It's just amazing. It was the coolest thing. But before we left, something happened. Me and Calvin were turning around to go back to our campground, and as we turned and looked, even two young men were blown away by this. We looked down, and there in the creek was all of Mount McKinley, 20-plus thousand feet of mountain in this little teeny foot and a half wide creek 
as image bearers of God, we bear the image and beauty and magnitude of a great God. Yes, even lost people reflect some of the bounty of God. But let me be clear. No, all people are not children of God. The only children of God are those who have been saved and converted at a soul level by God. In 1 John 3.10, it says, By this it is evident who are children of God and who are children of the devil. Now, that sounds really hard to digest, doesn't it? Because that's saying that anyone who's not been born again is a child of the devil. Now, hear me. I think we get all kinds of kind of theater themes of demonic stuff going on. All it means is that we're in the clutches of an evil one who wants to hold us there. It's not the manifestation of crazy stuff. It's that he wants to keep you enslaved to the shadows of your sin and hold you down. Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God. Doesn't say perfect, but who doesn't practice, in other words, make a habit in this followership relationship with Jesus, does not know God. They are not children of God. So not everybody is a child of God. A common question that I get even on radio, I host a radio show Monday through Friday, for those of you that are new, from 5 a.m. to 9 a.m. on Moody Radio. And I'm not a radio guy, I'm a pastor who got into radio, but I hear this all the time from thousands of people when I'll ask them their story, and I always like to ask, hey, what's your story? Well, I was born a Christian, or I was raised a Christian. So the question is, aren't some people born Christian? Or by virtue of what they're raised in, aren't they just kind of grafted into being a Christian? And the answer is a resounding no. Any spiritual conversion is miraculous because we're all born with our backs to God. In Romans 3.10, the Apostle Paul, given his theological treatise, quotes Psalm 14.3 when he says, none is righteous, no, not one. So another question that I get, and this isn't often a question, this is an assumption that people make, and that is, aren't people who attend church and serve in church certainly Christian? And I just want to say, with all the love and compassion in my heart, with no rancor and no anger whatsoever, no not necessarily. How do we know this? Because in Matthew 7, and I'll refer to this over and over again, because if any culture in this world struggles with an illusion of salvation, it is American Christianity. So, what is said there? In the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus says, many will say to me on that day, that's a day of judgment, Lord, Lord. And he's going to say, I don't know you. Their response is going to be, we taught in Jesus' name, we baptized in his name, and we did mighty works in the name of Jesus. And he says, depart from me. I never knew you. Now that's hard, isn't it? So some of you are thinking, oh wow, this is just real encouraging today, Carl. But we've got to get a theological baseline for what in the world conversion is. A lot of us have been wanting to get our kids back to church when maybe what they need is to become in Christ for the first time in their life. 
So it's, it helps us know how to pray for people. And I know that a lot of well-meaning moms and dads, and I know we got a lot of them here that have this common issue, is that we want so badly for our kids to be born again that we almost look back at stories from a camp gone by or a decision that was made or a time when they sang out loud about the goodness of God or when they memorized verses. Hear me now. The best demonstration of authentic soul conversion is a very imperfect but intentionality to be a follower of Jesus Christ. That's why the primary word in the scriptures used of what authentic faith means is disciple of Jesus. And I'm going to be this bold. I hadn't planned on saying this, but this is what I, the Spirit of God's laying on my heart. I am going to say to you right now, please don't try to talk yourself or someone you love into something they don't possess. That's not love. That's selfishness. And that's hard to hear, isn't it? I get some of my elders down here. I mean, that's hard to hear. Right, guys? It's hard. But we've got to grapple with the truth and the core truths of God's word to understand what in the world is salvation? And what does it look like? I want to be clear. Spiritual conversion as I'm using that word today, is an act of seeing your spiritual poverty, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. When you feel like you're spiritually bankrupt and you have nothing to offer God, yes, yes, that's when it all begins. I'm parsing my own definition here, so give me a moment. Spiritual conversion is the act of seeing your spiritual poverty, dying to self. See, if a seed remains alone, if a seed does not die, it remains alone. But if it dies, it now multiplies 30, 60, 100 fold. The crazy thing about the kingdom of God is that if you want to live, you got to die to self. So, It's spiritual poverty, it's dying to self, it's turning to Christ. The most common description of action that we find in the New Testament for authentic conversion is repentance. That means you turn around. Jesus painted a picture. He says, broad is the path that leads to destruction, many are on it. Narrow is the path that leads to life, and few find it. Now let me give you the roundhouse on this. And all of these are initiated, enacted, and sustained by the power of the Holy Spirit. Can I tell you something? This last week, I think it was Tuesday, I felt holy called of God to give out an invitation to follow Jesus. There was no fanfare. There's no music playing. No organ in the background. There was no way I could have someone just jump in and have George Beverly Shea sing Just As I Am, something like that. It was just quiet. And you know what's wild? I read the Word of God. And I said, if you are ready right now and the Holy Spirit is pulling down the blinders from your eyes and you're ready to give your life to Jesus, I want you to come right now. We got texts from all over the world. All over the world. In one movement of invitation we had over 40 people surrender their lives to Jesus Christ yeah. 
aren't then, Carl, all people unlikely converts? Yep. You see, we're all unlikely converts. And I want you to hold on to that today as we bust into a cool narrative and see a story, and I'm going to go really move through this quickly. And we're going to have three key encouraging takeaways from three key radical stories of transformation that I hope you walk out of here today going, there's someone that I love, and he's not. She's not out of the reach of God because they are not. Follow along in your Bibles. If you've got a Bible, break that bad boy open. If you don't have one, get one, guys. You've got to have a hard copy. If you can't smell it, it ain't real. <laughs> All right. In Acts chapter 16, we're going to pick it up in verse 11, and we're going to go 11 through 15. I'm going to make some comments as we go along. Ready? Here we go. So setting sail from Troas, they're in the second missionary journey They've just been shut down going into Asia Minor. Asia Minor, let me get this now for you. If you're looking kind of at a map, this is big Asia up here. This is Asia Minor down in the western part. So they were, they were the Spirit of God shut the door. Shut the door, didn't let them go into Asia Minor. So they moved on. So setting sail from Troas, they were headed for Macedonia. We made a direct voyage to Samothrace. Now, what is Samothrace? It's a little island, and it's a little resort island today. I mean, it was a cool little place. And the following day, to Neapolis. Now, Neapolis is about 11 kilometers from Philippi. Philippi at that time, now it's in ruins, was hustling, bustling. There were magistrates that were set up there. It was almost considered to be a dinky Rome, okay? It was almost like this is the, where Rome was setting up their second point of command. So it's a big city. From there to Philippi, which is the leading city in the district of Macedonia and a Roman colony. We remained in the city some days. And on the seventh day, this is the Sabbath, we went outside the gate to the riverside where we supposed there was a place of prayer and we sat down and spoke to the woman the women who had come together. Now, let me tell you what's going on here. Theologians don't know for sure. There might have been a synagogue, but there probably was not even a synagogue, but there was a place of prayer. Let me give you something for free right now. It's always good to have an outpost in our city where Christ followers are getting together so that those that have any hunch of spiritually seeking might land there one day. Because that's what's going on here, as we're going to see. Verse 14. One who heard us was a woman named Lydia. All of you aspiring leader women that like to go for it in life, you are in good company with Lydia. She is a goer. She was from the city of Thyatira, a good distance away, by the way. A seller of purple goods. Purple goods. Purple was the sign of royalty. This made some of the most amazing fabrics you can imagine. You ready for this right now, how it was made? They would get together thousands of shellfish, mussels. They would get these things. They would pull the glands out of them, and it would take thousands of these mussels boiled down to make one ounce of purple dye. One ounce. And it was so putrid, nobody could make purple dye that was upwind of a city. 
They always made you, if you're a seller of purple, you are not buying a house here. You are going downwind because nobody could be making purple where it's, because it stunk so bad. But it was beautiful. And Lydia was a, she was a dealer in this stuff. But it goes on to say she was a worshiper of God. Now hold on to that for a second because this is very important. A question, let me give you a natural one here. Can you be a worshiper of God and not be a child of God? And the answer is yes. I'll prove it to you. The Lord opened her heart to pay attention to what was said by Paul. And after she was baptized in her household as well, she urged us saying, if you have judged me to be faithful to the Lord, come to my house and stay. And she prevailed upon us. This is big, guys. You can be a worshiper of God and not be a child of God. Now, there was a kind of a church movement really strong about 25, 30 years ago that was a kind of a seeker movement. And a lot of people poo-pooed it. I don't poo-poo it. I think that there is a lot of people who are God-seekers in our culture today just like Lydia. Do you know that she was a Greek, we know this because of her name, and converted to Judaism? She became a woman that showed up for prayers at a synagogue or some kind of tent meeting. It was a makeshift synagogue for the purpose of trying to grow in her relationship with God. Now here's what happened with Lydia. God opened her heart and she believed in Jesus Christ as her Savior and Lord. She was the first lady of a newborn church in Philippi. Woo! And we don't know too much about her family, except that she had huge influence on her family. When it, whenever you find in Scripture that they were saved in their household, it never refers to little children. It always refers to people that are of the age of discernment. Oftentimes 12, 13, 14 years old, people can understand abstract concepts. So Lydia was a flame-throwing businesswoman who had huge influence, and she was able to even impact her household. Pretty cool story. Here's the first takeaway I want you to get. God, yes, he opens the hearts of spiritual seekers. This is why public worship and places of prayer are often the place where many become disciples of Christ. When we're thinking about reaching a community for Christ, go to the places where people are looking for something transcendent. Go, hang out there, have conversations, find people that are worshipers of God but have not yet have their heart open to the things of the Messiah. This is huge. I'm already doing this with my neighbors around me because there are a lot of worshipers of God in our culture today that just don't know that Jesus came to save them. There are many denominations, big denominations, that caused the church hundreds of years ago to reform because they had taken worshipers of God and left them on an island of obligation and duty and paying indulgences and it was deadly so God opens the hearts of spiritual seekers one of the coolest things I ever saw in Alaska for those of you that don't know my bride and I were called to Alaska a number of years ago to lead a church up there and it became a huge work of God and people were just flocking in and 
and it was amazing to witness what God was doing. But one day, I, I was so blown away. And I'm glad we got Corey and team, and Corey gets this 100%. I was in the back, and it's getting time for me to come out and preach. And the Lord told me, I'm about this far away from the pulpit. It wasn't a pulpit, but you know what I mean. It's a modern pulpit. It's something like that. And I'm a few feet away, and the Lord said, give an invitation to follow Jesus. Hearts have been opened. As I got up, I said, everything has been set here by the Lord, and now I want to explain to you who Jesus Christ is. And on that day, 450 people surrendered their lives to Christ. These were not people who put a hand in the air. These are 450 people who God called out of darkness into the light and had the courage to go stand in a big old lobby 10 deep, four roads across to get teamed up with a life coach and some new follower material as they stood there in line. People were handing out tissues and they're just wiping it up. Here's what I need you to know. There are people in this world today who are so hungry for something transcendent in their life that sometimes when they hear you say, we give praises to your name. Oh, God. God of this world, he opens their heart that the king of glory may come in. It's what our God does. So we go on into a new story here. It's in verse 16. And in verse 16, we pick it up. Let me clear the windshields here real quick. Verse 16, as we were going to the place of prayer, we were met by a slave girl. Thank you, bro. I've got him coming in from all sides now. As we were going to the place of prayer, we were met by a slave girl who had a spirit of divination and brought her owners much gain by fortune-telling. Is this true? Is there any basis of truth to fortune-telling? Sadly, there is some. She followed Paul and us, crying out, These men are servants of the Most High God who proclaim to you the way of salvation. And this she kept doing for many days, Paul having become greatly annoyed. Now, here was why he was annoyed. Two things. Number one, he knew that what motivated her wasn't really the gospel. What motivated her was Satan himself. And sometimes people who proclaim with the wrong motivation the gospel of Jesus are a distraction to the gospel going out. I'm telling you guys. And having become greatly annoyed, turned and said to the Spirit, I command you in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. And it came out of her that very hour. But when the owners saw that their hope of gain was gone, somebody killed the cash cow, man. Somebody took the demon spirit, and now she can't tell fortunes anymore. They seized Paul and Silas and dragged them into the marketplace before the rulers. And when they had brought them to the magistrate, they said, these men are Jews, and they are disturbing our city. They advocate customs that are not lawful for us as Romans to accept or practice. 
The crowd joined in, attacking them, and the magistrates tore their robes. I'm going to get into this in a moment because although Paul was Jewish, he was a Roman citizen, and they were not to be locking up nor flogging Roman citizens, but it goes on. The crowd joined in, attacking them, and the magistrates tore the garments off and gave orders and beat them with rods. And when they had inflicted many blows upon them, they threw them into prison ordering the jailer to keep them safely. Having received this order, he put them into the inner prison and fastened their feet to the stocks. Now, when they were flogged, they were beat with rods. So it wasn't like the, the, the strands of rope that had shards of something sharp, but it was rods, and it beat them up so bad. Now, get this. The Apostle Paul and Silas guys were stripped naked. They were naked. Come on. Are you feeling this with me? They were naked, and they were beaten with rods, and then they were thrown in prison. But let me give you some backstory on this demoniac woman. The word translated for she was demon-possessed is a Greek word where we get the word python. She had a snake spirit on her. Now, you might say, well, where in the world did that come from? It came from the Greek-Roman culture because they were mystics, and they had actually believed that Apollos had given all kinds of powers to all this crazy stuff, and they had deemed that this woman had a python spirit. And oh boy, I don't know if you want to have a spirit that's likened unto Satan in the fall. Not good. What's the point here? The point is that God unchains even the souls of the demonized. That's the point here. God unchains the souls even of the demonized. Now, I don't have time today to get into this, but are there degrees of possession in the Scripture? Yes. I would call it spiritual gradationalism, and I just made that up. But what it mainly means is this, is that we're all children of the devil. We're born with our backs to God. If God's here, we're born with our backs to him. But on this path, we can kind of strike deals with the devil that give increasing control in our life. Now, I'm not going to get into details except to say that I had one really scary night when I was snorting cocaine heavy in Alaska. Some of you know my story. And I had a horrible night. My world was crumbling around me, and I'm laying out lines of coke, and I had all the cocaine I needed, and now I'm starting to get paranoid but I'm conscious enough to know what's going on. And I knelt on this couch, looking out over the street where I lived. I knelt on the couch, and I said, I'm so sick of this body that I live in. And I began to try to strike a deal with Satan. And I was saying, if a car comes from the north and turns, that'll be a sign from God. If a car comes from the south and turns up my street, that'll be a sign from Satan. And in that moment, I knew I was dancing on some tough ground. I did not know Jesus Christ personally, but the word of God had been planted in my heart. And I remember turning around, looking at my roommate who was over there doing a line, and I saw an image of evil that I could paint for you if I was an artist to this day. Now, you might say, whoa, how often does that happen, Carl? Not very, but it does. And here's what I've found. 
There is no demonic stronghold too strong for the blood of Jesus Christ. This girl was called Python. She's reading people's mail. And every theologian agrees that by sheer absence of any more communication by Luke, this woman was delivered from some type of a stronghold of Python in her life. And she walked on with those boys, Paul and Silas, and joined Lydia in the early church in Philippi. February 11th of 1984 no matter what games I had been playing in my home a few months earlier God said I'm calling you out of darkness Carl and it was as if I could hear the chains of bondage breaking around me and God set my life free man and the reason that I'm so passionate that we be a church that reaches souls is because the souls of man and the word of God are the only things that last throughout eternity. Look, I appreciate all your pursuits in life. I appreciate all the money that you're making. I love your 403B if you're a nonprofit, and I love your 401K if you're in the for-profit realm. I love all that, but I got to tell you something. That's going to burn this quick, man. All your job titles, when they put you in the grave. God unchains the souls of the demonized. And one thing I want to add here is that sometimes it bumps the customs of the people in which you're ministering. Never forget, young lady came to Jesus Christ. I had the privilege of leading her to Christ. Sweet young lady, she surrendered her life to Christ. She says, I can't wait to go home and tell my boyfriend. She goes home, tells her boyfriend. He wasn't all so excited. She came back to work the next week, back to a church next week, and you know what she said? She said, my boyfriend wants to have you taken out. I said, well, Why? She said, well, I, I feel like God doesn't want me to be sleeping with them, and I feel like I want it to be pure and all that. And I'm like, oh, wow. This thing here in the gospel can get dicey sometimes, can't it? And I ultimately had the privilege of leading him to Jesus Christ. So listen, I need you to know that when you share the gospel in a very godless culture, it will bump some cups but God prevails. I got to keep moving. Let's go into verse 25 through 40. Check this out. Verse 25 through 40. About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the prisoners were listening to them, and suddenly there was a great earthquake so that the foundations of the prison were shaken, and immediately all the doors were opened, and everyone's bonds were unfastened. When the jailer woke and saw that the prison doors were open, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself, supposing that the prisoners had escaped. But Paul cried out with a loud voice, Do not harm yourself, for we're all here. <laughs> and the jailer called for lights and rushed in, and trembling with fear, he fell down before Paul and Silas. Then he brought them out and said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? 
And they said, believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved, you and your household. And they spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all who were in the house. And he took them the same hour that night and washed off their wounds and he was baptized at once, he and all of his family. Then he brought them into the house and set food before them. And he rejoiced along with his entire household that he had believed in God. But when it was day, the magistrates sent the police saying, let those men go. And the jailer reported those, these words to Paul saying, the magistrates have sent to let you go. Therefore, come out and go in peace. But Paul, wanting to mess with them a little bit, said, They have beaten us publicly, uncondemned, men who are Roman citizens and have thrown us into prison. And do they now throw us out secretly? Oh, yeah, man. No. Let them come themselves and take us out. You bring the cat daddies that put us in here, have them look at our wounds. Oh, Paul's so awesome. The police reported these words to the magistrates, and they were afraid when they heard that they were Roman citizens, so they came and apologized to them, and they took them out and asked them to leave the city. Get out of here, guys. So they went out of the prison and visited Lydia. And when they had seen the brothers, they encouraged them and departed. No doubt they were still walking off some wounds. That would have been painful, guys. The amount of, the amount of pain they would have had just, just the, the wounds that were on their legs, generally on their legs, lower parts of their body, and maybe even up on their back, it would have been excruciating. But this story addresses the largest pe- group of people in the world. Fear is driving people all the time. Fear is driving people to work. Fear is driving people to call in sick. Fear is driving people into isolation for fear of what people will say about them. We have so much fear in our culture today. The reason that this jailer was going to kill himself is that he was about to be executed. He would have been shamed in front of everyone. So he says, out of this fear, I'm going to put my sword through me right now. That's fear. But God... God gives freedom to those bound by fear. Are you fearful today? Now, there is fear for those that are born again, but perfect love casts out fear. You don't need to be a slave to fear today. You don't need to be a slave to demonic spirits today. You don't need to be a slave to seeking the transcendent but never taking hold of it, Jesus can save you today. But I think the emphasis of this message for us today is a little different. Never underestimate God's power. No one is beyond his reach. No one. No one. My bride wasn't too many years ago. I guess it was a bit ago. She gathered up a top 10 list, most wanted, 
before the Lord. I want to see all these people saved. She began to pray and pray and pray, and as she was praying, she kept going down past this one name, and then finally she took a pencil out and put a line through John's name. My bride concluded, and she gave me permission to share this story, the one guy that was unreachable on this list is John. He mocks, he derides Christians, he's got no time for God, he is his own God. And then my bride tells me with a laugh, a few years later, the only one on that list who was born again was John and no one else. No one is out of the reach of God. No one. No one. But presume nothing about anyone's spiritual condition. Believe God for everything. And let's see what he can do in this city. Pray with me. We're going to give glory to his name in a moment, but I just want you to bring your... I want you to bring your top five lists before the Lord right now. Top five. Come on. Who would be in your top five list? Think about it. Who do you really want to see born again? Some of you parents are in this room right now, and for the first time, you're willing to start praying about a son or daughter that you have tried to talk yourself into the fact that they're saved when you know now in your heart they probably are not. And that's okay, isn't it, guys? Isn't that okay? Because now we can pray rightly. Who's in your top five list most wanted? If you go past five, go all the way to ten. And if you got a John on the list, ask my wife after the service. Leave him there. Leave him there. God's arm is not too short. I sing praises to your name. Oh, Lord, praises to